Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Gamer's Guide to Ecology, where I play popular open-world RPGs from an ecological perspective. I'm Jesse D, an open-world RPG gamer, and thanks to everyone who sent out good vibes for me for my defense last week, it went really well, so now I'm a master in ecology! On today's episode, I sit down again with my friends Alex and Andrew and chat Assassin's Creed Origins and Odyssey. We talk about gameplay, where those games fit in with other notable RPGs and within the Assassin's Creed franchise. Later in today's episode, I'll be joined by special guest Maith Han. Maith is an anthrozoologist studying human-animal kinship for her PhD at the University of Edinburgh. She's joining me today to talk about multi-species kinship in real life, video games, and other media. So this month I played Assassin's Creed. Uh, specifically, I was playing Assassin's Creed Origin and Odyssey. Oh, you jumped into Odyssey. It's not good. Like oh, it's a, no. it's good for like a for like a modern game, but like compared to Origins, I just was like, I'm not into this at all. Oh, classic, so, really? classic Ubisoft saying, "Well, you liked this. How would you like this with a little bit more salt?" <laughs> yeah, no. Okay, it was... wait. So which one didn't you like? I didn't like Odyssey, the Roman. No, one. what? Yeah. Odyssey was so good. Oh Did my like goodness. It? I can't believe you didn't like it. I actually didn't play Origins though. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I did like Odyssey. <laughs> Maybe we're both biased then because like I've only played, granted I've played like 10 hours of Odyssey and I was just like, I, I got all the features, I think. I don't know. It just felt like, I, so what I really liked was that they did like mini cutscenes for everything. And everything was like super dialogue based. Sure. Um, and it yeah, was like it was very dialogue based. Zelda style, where like you could choose your response to people. Mm-hmm. But then they actually said the lines out loud, so that was neat. But... <laughs> yeah. Did you choose Alexios or Cassandra? Cassandra. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. You didn't like it. I actually thought it was one of the better Assassin's Creeds I'd played in a long, long time. I'll still, I'll still finish both of them. Like I'm. But what I wanted to focus on this week for our topics was chatting about previous Assassin's Creed games and what we liked about them, what we didn't like. So yeah, who wants to go first and talk about their past experience playing Assassin's Creed? Yar, me mateys. Yeah, I, um, I'm Alex. I like to party. And I played Assassin's Creed Uno. Assassin's Creed Dos, and then Assassin's Creed Quattro. Uh, I skipped number three. Uh, it was a dark year for me. But um, I think Assassin's Creed 1 was one of the first games that I actually like played all the way through. I was like, yo, man, I love RPGs. I love story. And I didn't like completionist it when it was like, get all the flags. I said, fuck that shit. I'm just going to go yeah. stab another fucker. Um, and then Assassin's Creed 2, I played at my university house, um, which was like mind blowing that it ends with you curb stomping the Pope. That blew my mind. I could not handle that. (laughs) It was the evil Pope though. Evil Pope. Yeah. Evil Pope. (laughs) I mean like allegedly, 
but yeah, we curb stomped this pope regardless. And yeah. like just the fact that that was the power move, my god, I got stories about that game. Um, and then, of course, as Andrew knows, uh, Assassin's Creed Four Black Flags. Um, my god, I like ninety nine percented that, but that was with help. I and think we all did. There was no, no Black way Flag that you was couldn't. Wild. It was yeah. just so much fun to play that you were just like. God. I'm going to conquer the world. At least the Caribbean. <laughs> oh, 100%. Yar. My roommates and I took shifts where, like, when we weren't in class or doing stuff, we would just be there going to all the little dots on the map, picking up everything. And, like, you get to the point in the game where it's like, are you sure you want to keep going? Because there's no saving past this point. And we're like, no, we don't want to keep going. we got, like... 400 points on this fictional map that we need to go and explore like it was almost like shift work like i'd get home from work and my buddy'd be like oh i'm going out to work now but don't worry i got all the shanties from this city i'm like sweet i'm gonna go hunt some jaguars get us some sick gear and yeah that, that was our day and i loved going diving deep sea diving and figuring out that puzzle stuff and then getting messed up by sharks so many times so many sharks just ruined my shit so have you played any other games past Assassin's Creed 4? Mm, I've played other video games, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> yeah, no, other <laughs> Assassin's Creed games, sorry, because there's like mm. 11 now. Yeah, 12. it's nuts, because like <laughs> after that, there was a bunch, there was like the one in the Revolution, there was the one in Yeah, like Syndicate and London. Unity. Syndicate's in London, yeah. yeah. Unity, I think, was in French Revolution. Yeah, yeah. I heard those were buggy as Oh, real bad. The memes were real for those ones. Yeah, like yeah. flying through I mean, horses and stuff. Every Assassin's Creed game is is buggy. There were some there were some gems though. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the not loading in facial features for Unity was the the memes I just remember the most. Like literally, like eyes floating and then oh, just like meat. No. There's like no skull or face, just like eyes, like having a cutscene. It was just. Brutal. I had that once. Yeah, that was brilliant. That's <laughs> <laughs> what dreams are made of. In some ways. Um, what, but yes, what happened so... after, after Unity, there was, um, they did a remake of Assassin's Creed 3. So that's been mm -hmm. remastered. Alex, you would you should go back and play that game because it's really good. Um, and, and then they did, I think, Origins and Odyssey after that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to say there's probably um, a couple of side ones that I'm not picking up on. That yeah. might have been for like PS Vita or like there was like some room, like, you know what I mean? There's these they like, did like a Russian one, they did a China one, they did yeah. an India one. And they, apparently they made those canon. So like whatever happens in the like oh. modern times part with like Abstergo okay. and stuff is canon. And like, I don't, I'm not in it for that part of the story. Who Like who is really? Is. <laughs> uh, I'm actually, I love Abstergo and walking around a corporate building, drinking coffee and solving the real mystery of Adam and Eve. Thank you. Yeah, yeah where's the post-it notes? I gotta scan all the post-it notes. <laughs> that's why we play these games. Hack all the computers. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Read all the emails. The, yeah. the really shitty emails. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. My favorite part about that is somebody had to write those emails. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like, some poor bastards. Like, I get to work on Assassin's Creed. <laughs> All 
<laughs> All right, Andrew, give us your your uh, run through of time with Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed 1, have to say I really enjoyed it. Was my intro to the series pretty um, current to like when it came out. Loved it. Had a lot of fun with it. I know there's a lot of complaints, like kind of revisionist stuff that people will go back to. Um, but for me, it was actually pretty good. Um, and then there was, I would say, Assassin's Creed 2. Um you know, Ezio, my dude, my my guy, definitely identified with the Italian background stuff. So um, that and Brotherhood have the biggest place in my heart. I'd say that's um, when they started really introducing a bit more of the mechanics around like picking up new weapons, just like, you know, getting weapons from guards, just being able to fight with everything. Um, Renaissance, you know, Italy time frame in history, one of my favorite uh, kind of time frames as well, time zones and in history. So really enjoyed that. I played a bit of three on a buddy's Xbox in university had a lot of fun with it. I do really like that time period. Um, love the kind of like indigenous, like First Nations vibes to, to you know, your background as part of the assassins. So, you know, wish I had kind of stuck with that maybe a bit more, even though it wasn't my game, but uh, did that. And then I, I know Alex already kind of alluded to it. Black Flag has another really special place for me. I just, <clears throat> you know, getting a little bit more involved in the ship combat, feeling like it got a bit better from three. I don't know if people would disagree with me on that, but um, I remember this ship combat being a bit cleaner, like kind of nicer in Black Flag. So uh, definitely had a really good time with that. And then it fell off for a long time. Didn't play anything until Odyssey. Um, I came back to it, gave it a shot. Um, but I, I love Greek mythology <clears throat> in the Isles. So, you know, that kind of geography, topography area was like right in my wheelhouse. So I knew I was going to love Odyssey probably just from that. And it gets an extra bump for me just because I'm really interested in that background and like the, you know, Sparta versus Athens kind of time period. So um, yeah, definitely hit some good chords with me. It was really interesting to see how the game had progressed actually. Um, that from like Black Flag until Odyssey. And I think a lot of things had changed. The gameplay style is a lot cleaner, like much more reactive. I felt like the earlier Assassin's Creed, maybe you guys would remember as well, felt like kind of stiff at times where like you had to jump at a very specific tree branch or a very specific piece in the wall. And Odyssey was like, you're freaking just running up, grabbing everything. Like it was so clean, so smooth. So I really, really enjoyed that kind of change. But um yeah, that, that'd be probably my just brief rundown. Yeah, for sure. I remember the struggles of of uh, even if I go black, even if I go back and play uh, Black Flags, like the the running joke in our house is like is like Edward, we want you to jump, but we don't want you to jump there because you're like running and he's 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 gonna jump, but then he like it glitches in midair and he goes off and like falls to his death. Because you didn't jump at the right spot, and so that oh. was super frustrating. Well, like Very the, frustrating. The controls in those first two games, where it was like the top ones, your head, and the lower ones are your arms and legs, and like you'd be running and you'd go to jump and you'd like immediately. I don't know how your body would do this, but rotate and grab a ledge. Yes, beside the you. rotate, and you'd be like, w- "What?" And then everyone, everyone has had this situation where they've done the perfect stealth up to their target. You know, they've oh. climbed up to a balcony, pulled guards off, like took out everything in the way. And then they finally get up to their target ready with that sweet arm blade. And then they accidentally grab them and throw them off. 
and then they <laughs> fall to their death and you still have that weird vision where you're like right beside them and they're like you didn't know what life was man and you're like i knew what life was man and then like you pop back and you were nowhere near them that never happened you yeah. threw them off the top of a bell tower yeah, my, uh, I, so when I found out that, like, powder kegs and, like, explodey things existed, that's how, that was my, like, pr- my assassin method of choice. And so I would just throw, like, firebombs or, like, powder kegs at people and, like, burn them. And then there would be that cutscene, and I'm like, you're not even injured from the fire that just engulfed you. <laughs> you would have been instantly dead, sir. Like, yeah. what, what is this? So that my, was a bit frustrating, but yeah. My absolute favorite assassination technique came out in like the back half of the black flags where it was like the madness darts yeah yeah the berserk darts i just i stopped care like they keep giving me new like toys to play with but i'd be like i'd i'd just plant at an impossible distance away take out my blowgun and go and then the guy would get hit and then go are you okay and then he'd just start swinging at his guards who inexplicably would be like nah now it's time to kill you i don't give a <laughs> Fuck, we only play with a lethal damage here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And if you were lucky enough to, like, get the captain, the guy with the fancy hat, he just went around and killed everybody. Everyone. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. Um, I do remember the one thing in Black Flag as well that was, like, a little janky, but I loved was, like, if you just did a certain amount of damage or got them, like, to basically, like, surrender, you killed enough of the officers, you'd get, like, more like loot or um you know more supplies off of them and it was always just like you could just heal your boat up from like basically sinking by just stripping the boat of like everything that it has i just loved this like video game logic of like my boat has been like riddled with holes from cannon fodder but if i just take the resources from this other ship it'll be perfectly fine and we'll keep fighting another day and you have like (laughs) six other ships around you that like suddenly your ship is perfectly fine again yeah, it's, it's the Skyrim logic of just keep shoving wheels of cheese in it, Johnny. We got this. <laughs> I can pause and eat how many wheels of cheese? <laughs> yeah, one of my other favorite parts of, of this is turning into an AC4 episode. One of my other favorite parts of Assassin's Creed 4 was like the, the enemy spawning where you could like. I, I got really good at like parrying and like sword fighting yes. and stuff in that game mm-hmm. because it's just, it's easy. They felt easy. And so eventually there's a point where like you're invincible basically. As long as mm-hmm. you know how to how to oh, parry yeah. and sword fight, you're you're unstoppable. So like the, I was in this like tavern and there was a fight and all of these British officers kept like spawning outside the tavern and like running into the tavern to fight me. And I, there, at the end of it there was like 75 bodies <laughs> that I had to like go around and loot. It's <laughs> like this is too many. <laughs> oh man. So good. Knee deep and British. <laughs> was there was there a conference here today? Why are there so many officers outside this place? Yeah, I don't know. It was awful. Oh, I didn't feel yeah. bad about it though. Nah, they they got what was coming. Um. So Andrew, you mentioned that you loved Ezio. Um, oh, do you play God, all three yeah. games that he was in? Uh, yes. So was it Assassin's Creed Two, and then was there? I thought there's Brotherhood somewhere in there, and then I didn't know. I don't know the name of the next one. There's Origins, I think it's called. Uh, No, it's the uh, one when it goes back, and it's like him but older now. Mm, I did play that one as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they like wrap up Ezio's sort of like timeline 
where he's like young and spry in the first time you see him and then he's like yeah. and then he's like a seasoned assassin in the second game and then he's like not this shit again in the third yeah. game. <laughs> Full Danny Glover in the yeah, last one. Yeah. I, uh, I will say the only other thing I remember from that second game aside from curb stomping the Pope was <laughs> uh, number one finding all the like the cool puzzles with all the art and figuring that shit out that was a good time and number two was your uncle mario showing up and going it's a me a mario and i just lost it i was like no this is no oh no yeah there was some oh my goodness yes i do remember um yeah and you run into a lot of like really amazing um historical characters in that one right like when you're in florence um i think you is it might not be michelangelo but you run into medici um, yeah so it's um leonardo um da vinci caprio (laughs) that one too also he's definitely later much later (laughs) much much later um (laughs) (laughs) so like he's obviously making certain things and he's got a role to play and he's you know they they talk about this like flying machine which is an actual um like architectural drawing that he made it's in the game there's like cute little things like that and you know there's all these things being built like the uh, duomo which is in florence of course if you know anything. do you remember that uh the tank one where da vinci's like oh they stole my designs for this fighting machine and then you have to like go and steal it back and it's just a tank (laughs) <laughs> shit is wild yeah like world like, war Two sherman just rolling down the street yeah <laughs> pretty much um and even um you know like just a, a lot of things about that one i think hit, hit like machiavelli's in it as well which is like you know if you know his writing about the prince um has some very like interesting philosophical writings but um you know that's just kind of like my historical nerd stuff coming out like obviously the pope and things like that right but um i think they did a really good job in that one with like the the city's feeling super real and super accurate but then there was this kind of like life outside of it there was more of like because i know assassin's creed one had the like you would kind of go between jerusalem and like all these different places but like the, in the between... old horse got a lot <laughs> of those horse, horse sections yeah those roads though in those places felt just like really dead though there were like these dead zones until you got to like a tower where there was usually a Templar every tower was like the same yeah, and it was the same shit every single time. Um, I really felt like in, in those two games with, like, water becoming a part of the, the, the gameplay. In the first one, if you jumped in the water, you were just dead. You just died right away. So I liked being able to, like, you know, swim a bit and get get that to be, like, a bit of a further in the gameplay. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, what, what about uh, everybody else? I mean, like, I know... The, that really hit like a background historical note for me. That's why I really enjoyed the second one. But was there anything about the other ones that like really hit for you that you liked for some particular reason that you identified with? I think those three games with Ezio that we mentioned were my favorite in terms of like character arc and storytelling because it felt like the progression of the character, like the character had like like an end you know like there's a lot of assassin's creed games where you're like great i'm an assassin now and then they show them in the future like doing assassin stuff and you're like cool i guess i did it (laughs) but like with Ezio, you felt like you know you saw him work hard he struggled through life he made it and then you know blah 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 now he's an old guy going to get redemption and stuff 
and then like he had an ending and it was satisfying so i wish that every game had that but obviously if it did it would be like a thousand hours so i'd just I'd agree. Like, in the first game, Altair starts off as, I'm a pompous jerk who gets everyone <laughs> killed, maybe. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm this guy now. Um, and then at the end of it, you're like, all right, I got this all figured out. And then fucking Grandpa comes out with a magic orb and makes twinsies of himself. And you're like, this is not what I signed up for. I, I Okay. Uh, weird flex. Um, and then with Ezio, like he starts off as I'm a pompous youth, but then you see him grow. And I only played the one, but like when he's curb stomping that pro, that uh, pope, like <laughs> doesn't his family like die? Like he gets a real Batman treatment at some point, right? Uh, yeah, they hang his whole family or something, and that's what turns him to the path of being an assassin. Oh yeah, and then he gets his wicked house out in the boonies, and you yeah, get to, I love the that mansion. House. Yeah, that was yeah. a good time right there. Yeah, you kind of go all, like, uh, Scarface a little bit with this, like, mansion you kind of make up, and it's just, like, you've got this freaking, like, castle out on the hill with, like, your mm-hmm. boys with you, and it's, like, it becomes, like, pretty impregnable at some point. Mm-hmm. But for um, me, yeah, it's it's all about Black Flags. Like, because the assassin portion was fun, but, like, all I wanted was that ship. And I just gunned through all the beginning till you got your own ship and i never touched land again until you think because (laughs) do you think it was because it was like specifically pirates that made it so enticing or like could it have been any ship could you have been like sailing in like i don't know the um like off the coast of europe i think i think it was pirates because like it was the it wasn't because they were pirates it was the freedom of being a pirate a loose can Mm -hmm. like you had the gta 5 like gta thing where like if you um killed enough like (laughs) ships they sent you the the cop ships after you yeah boy oh boy (laughs) you don't want to get those helicopter ships on your case (laughs) Um, helicopter ships but like it, it was like the wind waker where it was just a massive ocean to explore and islands to check out and like it was all brand new and you could you had that um serotonin feedback loop of like kill things to upgrade your ship to kill bigger things to upgrade your ship and then it was such a piss off every time you got to that point of upgrading where it's like oh you you gotta you gotta do assassin stuff for a bit before you can make the yeah Yeah, how did they phrase that you have to progress further into the story or something like that yeah, and I call bullshit on that because I was I was just living the life and singing they all came down to the mountain and getting all that cheese shanty bullshit going on. The yeah. songs were pretty legit, actually, though. Like I, I I was really into that. I felt like um, like Assassin's Creed Four was kind of like it was misleading in a way. Like it wasn't truly an open world because there were large portions of the map that like you couldn't get to like you could sell your ship into the island but like it wouldn't let you in it wouldn't let you on the island because it was like mm-hmm. there's just trees and rocks here <clears throat> you're not allowed to pass or like you get to the edge of the map and it would do that like gray smoke oh yeah oh, or the, that was brutal. your yeah. your your dna is disassociating from the program man yeah. um yeah, so odyssey thing, doesn't do that yeah, that was exactly. one thing I really liked about Odyssey. You can literally go wherever the hell you want, and everything is a decent location. And the, like Odyssey and Origins, yeah, you can crawl every inch of that land or that water, and like, um, 
it the maps are huge like they remind me of um the the french revolution one where like you're in you're in like paris and you can see uh like all the districts and like cross the river and stuff like that open world style map but like on a bigger scale because it was like you know this is greece <laughs> yeah. or like this is egypt like the entire country you could just roam mm-hmm. so it was wild uh, the super <clears throat> um the one thing that i i loved about odyssey as well with that was kind of like i really liked the this like super badass pirate ships in black flag and like that was like a big challenge to take down um they don't quite have that I think to the same degree in Odyssey, there is something like that. But the one thing I did really like was they have this kind of like, um, I guess like kind of rival hero mechanic where there's like this this ranking of like world um, like fighters and they're just littered in the world and but they have like random kind of roaming locations and so you'll you'll be just like running maybe you see an objective then all of a sudden this like like pop up will be on the map and it's like. Um, once you can identify them with your eagle vision, it's like, oh, it's this fighter. This is their fighting style. This is their background. And if you take them down, you can jump the ladder. And if you jump the ladder, you get like access to more like crafting or like armor or weapon materials. And like, you can progress the game that way. But like, they all had these like different names and different like kind of character skins. So it was like kind of neat that you had these like kind of badass people to fight like on land or while you were just walking around or they'd be put after you. You'd have a bounty out and it would be one of those badass fighters that were like coming to chase you down. It was actually a really neat mechanic. Man, that's just the nemesis system taken straight out of Shadow of War. That's like, what I was it, just going to say. It is yeah. that. Yeah. It is now, that. It's not quite because like they don't evolve and like replace each other. So like in Shadow of War, when you like kill one, like the next guy in line steps up to take his place. It's not quite like that. Um, where they, like, have a personal vendetta against you. But, yeah, they're, like, bounty hunters or whatever that chase you around. Um, and they get, like, progressively harder. They match, I guess, like... They're always, like, one or two levels higher than you. So when you beat them, you feel accomplished. <laughs> yeah, some of them are freaking hard to beat. Um, because yeah. in, in these new games, too, like, it's not just the same kill pattern of, like, dodge, parry, stab, dodge, parry, stab, or, like, sneak up, stab. Like, I, I, I said tried... dab. Dodge, parry, stab. <laughs> Boom! Dab, dab on them. Um, and then like, that was the thing in the old and games. all the kids go wild. <laughs> like you used to be able to just assassinate anyone, but in this game, it's like if they're too high enough level, even if you put, because it's more of an RPG tree, and if you put even all your stuff in the assassinations, which I did, um, you could take off like a lot of their health, but you could not just kill like the uppermost elite enemies with just like one assassination you'd like chunk them down and then you still had to fight them after which got really intense yeah so that's another thing alex that these new games have is they have uh, skill trees so like your character levels up as you gain like experience points by like completing missions or killing people and then when you level up you get an experience point or some kind of like skill point that you can spend on like new maneuvers and stuff um, um, so instead of like upgrading your ship you're basically like upgrading your character um two yeah. questions uh one in these games can you fall from insurmountable heights into a pile of hay you better okay? believe it. of course that's it. that's a staple of assassin's because creed like, what else would you do with your time sometimes i only went on to land to do that uh, and <laughs> number two can you just chill on a bench to hide from guards uh, i don't I think don't you know, can actually, actually do the sitting thing anymore 
Yeah, I don't think that's a, a mechanic anymore. Yeah. Really. Oh my god. Yeah. Or the like, yeah. just walking through a crowd with your weird splayed hands. <laughs> I still hands. think they have that. Thank God. Honestly, I can't remember because. So one thing I noticed about about these two games is that the streets are way less crowded than the previous games. Mm-hmm. Previous games, yeah. there were like NPCs everywhere, and they were all doing like you know the same whatever random shopkeeper thing and like their motions are all the same and they stand in groups of four so you can like walk up to them and be like hey i belong in this group and blend in but all of the npcs in these games have like shit to do they're like i'm a farmer i'm farming (laughs) or like i'm going to get water or bread or whatever and so they have like a task that they're accomplishing and they're never like walking in groups really so honestly i haven't even thought about it until you mentioned it right now if you could even like they called it blending or something yeah yeah but like my my favorite thing used to be like everyone would be walking down the streets normally and doing their thing and i'd throw coins at the bottom of someone and it was like there was blood in the water everyone would just (laughs) stop and turn and like rip over open the woman beside their throat just to get at the five cents i threw on the ground (laughs) doesn't matter where they were all like yep fight to the death now these coins are mine yeah we fight to the death now um there is actually a cool kind of mechanic that um, you wouldn't be used to as well, Alex. There's like a there's like a war mechanic in this one where like you choose a side of Sparta or Athens, basically. And there are certain missions that switch which side you want to fight for. But it's like you're in this like open battle of like a hundred or more characters all fighting around you. And then you can like pick and find officers throughout the battle and there's ones on both sides and if you kill the officers on the other war side faster the like the meter starts to like slow down and it just starts turning the tide of battle kind of but it's like dynasty warriors um imagine dynasty warriors but it's like not where you just slash people and like you kill like (laughs) ten thousand people per battle (laughs) it's still like semi-realistic in the fact that you only really kill like four or five people but it makes a big difference in like winning that like war Uh, unless you're leonidas in which case at the beginning of the game when they're like hey you're a spartan go kick some ass I didn't know who I was supposed to kill, so I was just killing everybody. Yeah, just murdering everybody. <laughs> I was like everybody. half an hour into the game and I was still fighting. I was like, am I going to yeah. win at some point? Like, what is the point here? <laughs> Nobody tells That's actually you. really funny. And was the pile of bodies in that larger than the British soldiers in that one bar or smaller is the real question. I don't know. I kept moving forwards, like, into the, into the melee. You didn't see behind you. Yeah, I didn't, keep, I didn't turn around. It. He was dope. And he fought with a spear. And I was like, this doesn't seem like a practical weapon. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. And my yeah, abs, they, they... though. My abs in that game. Hell yeah. Yeah, you're <laughs> jacked as fuck in this game. Um, yeah, Cassandra's actually like a really nice character model, too. I, I liked her. I almost wish I'd chosen her over Alexios. Um, but uh, actually, the other cool thing about this, too, is that they used um, voice actors that were actually like from Greece or, or had like a historical Greek background um, and a lot of the development teams. So it was actually like a really kind of like culturally sensitive project, which is kind of neat because they know sometimes they'll just like put random people on these things that have no idea what they're talking about. And it's like the guy that plays Alexios um, has like a legitimate Greek accent because he's from Greece. So it had this kind of like cool vibe of like the way he pronounces the words um, and like places and things like that. You're like, oh, is that actually what that, how that's supposed to be said? It has this like very kind of neat way of like picking up on the linguistic side of it. I really enjoyed that. So so you have that thing with, with ancient 
like Rome or ancient Greece, mm-hmm. like I get the same rush and like the same curiosity and sense of wonder with ancient Egypt. It's not really ancient in this case, like 400 BCE, um, comparatively to like the rest of the Egyptian like um, history. Yeah, it's like 2000, Thous- yeah, yeah. thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. Um, so it's, in, in, in that sense, it's like it's like, um, you know, near history almost. Um, but there's still like some some, um, you know, people worship like old gods. Um, there is some some influence from like uh, the Romans. Uh, you can go to like Alexandria. People worship like different gods, like the the Roman gods or like the um, Egyptian gods are like intermixed. So that was neat. Um, but that's like one of the cool things that I loved exploring was it felt like I was like Lara Croft went back in time. <laughs> You like tomb raiding, but like socially acceptable tomb raiding. (laughs) (laughs) That is actually interesting. I never played Origins, but uh, I I saw a couple of things on it. It looked like really quite interesting. I I like the aesthetic a lot. Um, And I don't know if any of like the fighting styles or things are changed in that. But did you notice any big differences between like how the games play? No, no. Um, the only difference that I noticed was um, in Odyssey, like, you have to upgrade your armor. You have to, like, get it engraved at the blacksmith. Yeah. In Origins, um, you can upgrade Bayek's armor if you just have, like, the basic materials, like, wood or leather or whatever. But you do pick up, like, you pick up so much armor from, like, just random people that you kill that, like, you don't really need to do anything. Um, not armor, sorry, shields. So like you're constantly your up your weapons are always upgrading, <laughs> and you can like turn them into raw materials by like dismantling them just like the, just like Odyssey. <laughs> so one thing I really like about the game is, um, by like I mean it's like a quirky thing, is how fast you can go on like one of those ships that is just like a gondola, you know, or whatever yeah. like they have in like Venice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like Bayek gets on the gets on this boat and just starts like paddling it away and and then there's like this boost mode you just like hold down the trigger and the boost mode i swear is like as fast as as like a sailboat i was like do you this drink make nos and then like it's fast and the furious one style or <laughs> yeah. what are we talking about yeah here? it's in- it's intense <laughs> and it goes forever you never get tired exactly you just keep yeah. you keep rolling <laughs> if there was a stamina meter or something that would make sense but he could just mm. infinite stamina Uh, moving into the topic of like animals in video games so like animal companions because that's what's huge in Assassin's Creed uh, especially Origins and Odyssey Um, the protagonists have like a pet eagle basically Um, in Origins the eagle's name is Sinu and in Odyssey it's uh, Icarus so so a common thing that video games are doing now is like putting dogs in it or cats or like other animals that you can pet do you guys go and pet the animals well uh, obviously you always pet the animal like you yeah, yeah check but um i'd have to say like the dogs like as a companion animals have been around for a while i think the first time that it happened was fable 2 for me where like the dog was like a key part of the game like half the mechanics were ordering your dog to run around and do shit and then like that was super prevalent and i think fallout 3 or fallout 4 where like your Fallout first 4 has a dog dog that I meat. saw, yeah. 
Yeah. I downloaded like, it. Haven't started playing it yet though. It's a good time. Like I, it's it's not as good as Skyrim. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> but you don't have a pet in Skyrim. Well, you can have like a horse, I guess. Yeah, but th- those are, those are as good as the horses in freaking Red Dead. You just you just <laughs> trade them in. <laughs> no. Okay. So like. Going back, if we can talk about Red Dead Horses for a second, because, like, I had the same horse for the whole game, and then, you know, spoiler alert, at the end, it gets shot, and no, you just, like... what? Oh, fuck. Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> Pick a different Damn horse man. for that mission. <laughs> no, Arabian Nights is my baby. Don't don't shoot her. I spent all man, my money on her. <laughs> most of my horses died a train. I'm not very good at train heist. It was hard, just... yeah, oh, yeah. So, so like, if you have the same horse for the whole game, you have this, like, emotional connection with it. And then when it dies, you feel like you lost a friend. And the game does a really good job of, like, making you feel that friendship loss. So, so like, that animal-human relationship, um, I think, is really cool to see in video games. Because, you know, you can see, you can see the loss of, like, a mentor in Assassin's Creed. Uh, you can see the loss of, like, a friend or, like, a loved one. Or, like, a spouse or whatever. Um, but, like, if you spent the whole game with, like, you know, an animal companion, mm. like your eagle or whatever, and then on the last mission or whatever, it gets shot by an arrow, and you're just like, no. Yeah, <laughs> you can brutal. see it falling out of the sky. And, and kind of like you've relied on its skill set, you've relied on its, like, abilities to help you succeed, and, like, you're a team together, and then all of a sudden you've, like, lost that other half of your team, basically. Like, that hits hard. It does. It absolutely hits hard. Um, And not to go too far off track, but one of the best ways I've ever been able to interact with a pet or, like, an animal in games was The Last of Us 2. Um, You start playing as this character, Abby, um, and there's this moment where you are like kind of at this base and as you're getting ready to go out on a deployment because you're part of this like military kind of personnel um you they have and train like a kennel of dogs um like attack dogs and stuff that come with you but they're actually super friendly somehow i don't know how that adds up but um there's this like a walking simulator like 15 minute portion of the game where you're literally like walking through this whole building and you're like getting all your supplies and stuff and one of it's picking up the dog it has name i forget it um but you can like throw a tennis ball for it and it'll play fetch with you forever like you can just sit there for like hours and hours and play with this dog you can pet it it like has different things that it'll do it'll like make different noises it has like it's this like it was so interesting that they spent all this time that you could interact with this dog for um so yeah i don't know if horror games are gonna do that but it's exactly like what you're talking about like to add on that, Fable 2, the entire game, you have this dog companion that you, like, find, like, in the first mission, and it follows you everywhere, it's part of the gameplay. Very end of the game, you're like, beat the final boss, all that shit, you show up, and it gives you three choices. It's like, you can resurrect all these thousand people who died, or you could resurrect your dog that just took a bullet for you, or you can just get all the money in this vault right here. You decide. So obviously you take the dog, because fuck those people who died. But like, and like the the bone shattering thing is like when you use the call dog command after, if you didn't take the dog, like a ghost of your dog appears and just waves it, like just kind of does that and disappears. And you're like, oh my God, no. 
<laughs> I have spent 40 plus hours with this dog that I named Buttsack. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't not. <laughs> The same idea, but in in movies. By extension, you have this relationship with the dog on screen because you feel that like emotional connection. Uh, couldn't not necessarily a dog, but like a pet of some kind. You feel this emotional connection between like the main character and their pet. And then when something bad happens to their pet, it's not even your pet. Like that is a trend in movies where they grab you by the heartstrings and they just tug on them. Like um, yeah. cough, uh, cough. I am legend. Yeah, yeah, I am oh legend. Oh my god, that's the um, brutalist one. Marley yeah. and me. Mm. Uh, like, Even signs. Yeah. That was the worst part of signs is when you hear the dogs get killed by the aliens signs. outside. Yeah, you don't even see those dogs die. Mm. You don't even know those dogs, but you're upset. <laughs> you are. Yeah, they're just trying to protect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a new one, The Art of Racing in, in the Rain. Um, yeah, that that's a fucked up book. Has, has a has a dog companion in it as well but um it's almost like a genre of movie these days exactly. where it's like like they they're not like all the exact same but it's like the movie revolves around the dog as the like major companion of the main character yeah so with the introduction of that topic i'd like to introduce um my special guest star this week uh Maeve han so yeah thanks for agreeing to come on the show this is really exciting for me you're my first guest star um, oh, wow. <laughs> I think that your topic uh, for your dissertation fits like really nicely into a topic that I really wanted to talk about for a long time is animals in video games. Um, and not just animals in video games, but animals in in uh, multimedia to, like as a whole, because I feel like dog movies are like a whole genre of movies. Like there was there was a few like Marley and Me, The Art of Racing in the Rain. Like those all came out and like people know that stuff happens to the dog, but they go see it anyways. So like that's a genre. So I hope that you can shed some light on that like intersection of like media and how people get attached to like animals that aren't necessarily theirs, but they still feel that relationship. So if you want to start by introducing your research, um, I think it's really fascinating. I'm excited to hear more. Uh, why don't you tell me a little about yourself and your project? Sure. Um, well, thank you for having me um, on your podcast. And my name is Maeve, and I'm currently finishing my PhD at the University of Edinburgh in anthropology. And my project is about multi-species kinship between dogs and their humans in Edinburgh. Although I did some digital ethnographic fieldwork as well, which kind of blurred this like geographic boundary of what it means to do anthropological work. Um, so I ask questions that are ultimately about the everyday details involved in the kinds of relationship that we have with our dogs, like how do we produce knowledge about our dogs, or what are the implications of treating our dogs like children, or um, you know, what can our kinship with dogs teach us about whiteness, race, and racism, especially in the pandemic era. And yeah, I think it's also kind of maybe important to mention that this project faced some hardships along its journey from proposal to the writing up stage, mostly because I've deliberately chosen to do my research in a predominantly white city and with predominantly white participants. And anthropology as a discipline has like historically been very much white normative subject 
in which white scholars went to these like exotic locations to study non-white people. So so much so that there's like a term like island ethnography, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it obviously didn't really sit well with me as a racialized person in the discipline. So I decided that I'm going to be studying whiteness and white people through an anthropological lens in hopefully throughout my career. And in my current project, it's it's been such an eye-opening experience to look at how whiteness and its very particular kind of love of dogs shape the very concepts of things like race and the animal together. So if you had to like boil it down into like a couple uh, statements about um, about like race and whiteness and, and dogs, would you say that it like it has to do with like white people saying they have ownership over something? Like, is that is that a problem that, that you encounter a lot? Um, it's not something that I've really witnessed firsthand during my fieldwork, but there is like an element of patronization or infantilization or control or power over another living being and, and what it means to live with something or someone that's supposedly below you in this imagined hierarchy of living things. So there's that, you know, slightly uncomfortable element of that. Um, And there's also, um, especially combined with this babyfication, if I can call it that, of dogs, Mm -hmm. and how that kind of intersected or coincided at least with like anti-Black racism, especially during the pandemic when Black Lives Matter protests like really kicked off. It was like, I, I really kind of saw, especially in my digital work, that white people just kind of pitted animals against black people and other racialized groups of people. And okay. it was like, these non-human animals and these racialized people have to like fight for our likability. And yeah, so, you know, there are a lot of people who are like big supporters of like police animals as this category of beings to be protected because they're innocent workers just doing their jobs. Mm-hmm. Whereas protesters were actually called animals and beasts yeah. or, you know, even sometimes like plague carriers basically being compared to like vermin because they didn't really fit into that controllable, easily, um, yeah, easily controlled kind of animals that can fit into our home life or fit very, you know, comfortably into what a good animal is supposed to be. That is so interesting. I am looking forward to reading your your um, chapter on that specifically. Thank you. Um, so I've been playing Assassin's Creed Origins this game, and you mentioned that like anthropology and archaeology is is like historically has been like people who don't belong to a certain culture or group of people going to another place and like taking their things and like you know, learning about their culture in, like, a a destructive, sort of, like, less caring way than they should. And the Assassin's Creed franchise, let's call it, taps into that sort of fascination that people have with, with culture. And so they put, they put your character in various timelines. The timelines are, like, uh, you know, you're in Jerusalem, uh, during the Crusades, um, you're in the revolution in France, you're in, um, the civil war in America, and, and these recent games that I've been playing throw the character into ancient, uh, Egypt and ancient Greece. And so, so like people that are like, wow, I love, you know, Greek mythology or I love Egyptian mythology. 
like they go and they they get to like exploit the environment as like a character so i guess i don't know how i feel about i personally love being able to explore the region because i've never been to egypt or to greece and i sort of get that fix of like i'm tomb raiding but like i'm not hurting anything <laughs> so how do you feel about about people being able to experience those types of things without doing harm in the real world I mean, I guess that's kind of like the best of both worlds, right? Like you get to play a game and then you get to explore places and hopefully if the game makers did, you know, good enough a job at like researching things, it would be, you know, yeah, the next best thing to going somewhere in, in real life and exploring, um, especially places that aren't necessarily open to the public all the time or in times like you know, this time of the pandemic era when, when yeah. travel is quite restricted. So I'm, you know, I'm all for that. And um, like, you know, through, I think in the past few years or more even, like a lot of museums started doing like virtual tours that's available mm -hmm. on their websites or whatever. And yeah, and I, I think it's phenomenal that it's it's becoming more, for lack of a better term, democratic, I guess. But, you know, even then, it's like, what museums are we touring? And why do they have all the stuff that they have? Like, you know, the, the big one is like the British Museum, just having all the things that, that, that they stole throughout their colonial exploits. And they just like refuse to give them back. And they're profiting off of it con like continuously through tourism. And for them to be like, oh, but we are democratizing this by like making it available through the internet and you can do a virtual tour for free or whatever. I'm just like, well, that doesn't really sit well with me that they get to do this. <laughs> so the funny part about Assassin's Creed is there's this, uh, in the like real world timeline, there's this evil corporation or like supposedly evil corporation called Abstergo. And they're the ones that monopolize these like genetic memories where you can go and experience different cultures. And they totally pitch it under the guise of like, of like, come and explore these places. Oh, like we haven't stolen genetic information from people or anything. And so, so like when you, when you brought up like British Museum, I was like, oh my God, it's Abstergo. <laughs> Let's let's move on to dogs. Let's let's try some uh, some happier uh, topics here. Sounds good. Um, so I mentioned before that that animals and kinship and and just you know even dogs in general are becoming more popular, more common to include in video games. There's games like Fallout Four where you have a dog companion that follows you everywhere. Um, there's even like a dog in Modern Warfare, I think, that fights alongside you. There's dogs in a lot of games. There's a Twitter you mentioned called, like, can you pet the dog in the video game? Um, so so people, I think, connect to, like, that aspect of video games. But can you talk about why, uh, you know, the, the types of companionship uh, relationships are important in real life? And maybe what, uh, what we and the animal both get out of it? Sure. Um... So I think this is like a really big question. So I'll I'll try to answer it in like a few parts. So okay, yeah. well, um, so first we saw like especially during the lockdown, like how much non-human companionship means to humans in terms of like mitigating mental and emotional distress that comes from isolation. So there's that aspect of it, um, which is kind of like seeing this like <laughs> attachment theory being confirmed before my very eyes. Like we just need that like touchy feely and cuddly warmth whether it's from another human being or non-human animal, because 
that's that's just how we're built. Like we're social animals. Um, but I think they're also important in a more conceptual way. Like in my research, that's just kind of something that I'm more focused on. So we often think about ourselves like humans as something that's kind of defined against non-humans. Like as if humanity is something that's made special and worthy of like this distinction just because we aren't animals. But yeah, like throughout my research, I've I've seen time and time again that actually humans and non-humans can't really be defined as this like diametrically opposed concepts because we we shape who and what we are through our relationship constantly for better or for worse and both individually and also as a species. So, um, you know, as individuals, like my dog, Frank, and I shape each other constantly because we're caught in this like feedback loop of sorts. So for example, like if he barks at the door, I'm kind of called to the action of like quieting him down, which involves this like specific interactions that, you know, um, involves like certain words and materials, like, like saying quiet along with a treat. Um, so in that way, he literally influences what I do and how I do it. And of course, I, I also shape his actions as I coax him to stop barking. So I'd argue that this is like, this is what makes us kin as individuals. It makes us responsible to one another. Um, and as species, like, would humans be the way that we are if domestication of pet species just never happened? Or if we never started industrial animal animal farming? So most likely not, <laughs> I'd say. And it, again, goes both ways. Like, would dogs, for example, be the way that they were if domestication never occurred? Like, absolutely not. They were systematically bred to look the way that they look, to serve the functions that they serve. So non-humans and humans aren't so separate in that way. We were, you know, historically contingent and inseparably enmeshed. So in both larger and smaller scales, what we get out of our relationship is, I think, really what makes us who we are, which I think is really beautiful. Hmm. Yeah, that's, I like the idea that you said it's like a feedback loop, um, but at the same time, like... You're both individuals acting on one another and then that experience playing and, and giving sort of like a trajectory to to your to your relationship that is really cool. And I, I kind of picture like two stars like orbiting around each other and they're both like in each other's gravity wells, but they're like flying through space together. And that was just an image that popped into my head. So. That's such a nice imagery. I love that. Yeah. Um, I want to hear about Frank. <laughs> I really do. I know it's not one of my questions. How's Frank doing? Frank's doing all right. He's, you know, yeah. he's quite um he's quite a nervous dog. I think yeah. I think a lot of collies are like they just like need a job to do. So they they often have this like drive to just constantly be doing something. Like he just does not know how to relax. Um <laughs> but you know, other than that, like he's he's trying his best, you know. Like all of us. <laughs> yeah, I love I love your photos of Frank. Like his eyes are just so expressive, like the the like orangey yellow color, like nice brown. I just I love his eyes so much. And um uh, and like you really capture his mood, I think, in your art. Um so for the listeners, uh Maith does art of she calls them wonky dog drawings, but like they're not wonky, they're <laughs> legit, they're really good. <laughs> and I love it so much because your apartment is just so like niche and like uh I don't know, 
it's just got such an atmosphere and a mood and and you're just like here's here's some art and it just looks so cozy like i want to like dive into the artwork that you draw so it's just great yeah my my friend calls it the artsy ho vibe (laughs) it's super awesome yeah it just it just feels cozy when i look at it so i love it thanks so much So if humans are are sort of hardwired to be receptive to to that interspecies relationship, to be impacted by by bonds with with other animals, um, do you think it's possible that somebody that doesn't have a a real-world relationship with an animal can experience that relationship with, like, through a proxy, like a video game or a movie? Oh, I think it absolutely can be felt like that that bond that you build with another um and you know game makers keep introducing and they they keep trying to improve this representation of human animal bond in their games for a reason and the reason hopefully is that players can feel and enjoy this interspecies bond even through a video game like people are invested in this emotionally um you know like like we talked about before there's like a reddit thread showing the list of games where you can pet the dog in the game and there's also that website called does the dog die which tells you if a dog in a movie dies or not yeah (laughs) but um i also think that it's not quite the same you know maybe with like maybe with technological advancements things will change but as things are today i think real life encounters with non-human animals carry a bit of weight in terms of well like everything (laughs) So on games or on the screen, it's really just our like audiovisual senses doing the work of interspecies interactions. But in real life encounters, it's not just what we see or what we hear. We use our tactile and olfactory senses as well as like proprioception. So I love the softness of Frank's ears yeah. and his, and he has like that distinct stink that like the dog smell. And I'm just like, oh, that's the smell of home. And I also obviously have to be aware of where my body is vis-a-vis Frank's body, especially when we go on a walk and he he's not the greatest on the leash. So <laughs> so it becomes more of this like tangible embodied experience that creates a certain kind of atmosphere in which we attune to one another. And I think it also kind of raises the stake of our interactions. So... <laughs> So I'm I'm way more invested in Frank or even my neighbor's dogs that I see on a walk on a regular basis than I am in any video game or movie dogs that I've interacted with or seen. Because um, I have this like sense of responsibility to the animals that I meet in person. But I don't really feel the same way for the ones that I see in games or movies because like this sounds really crude, but like they can respawn, you know? Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I get that. It's like it's like how I felt about my Tamagotchi, and I was like, I gotta, I gotta care for this thing, or it's gonna die. Oh no, it died. Hey, I got another one. <laughs> so. Yeah. Or like you know, in movies, like I'm aware that they're acting according to scripts. So while like the plot of the film might make me feel things, I know that it's not actually happening. Um, but you know, in real life, with a dog that I I can not only hear but see but like touch and smell and it's it's just like a richer and wider range of sensory experiences that make things a bit more real you know but that that being said i would love to see like virtual reality develop in that way so that oh that can, would be wild right yeah. it takes us full circle to the whole like virtual reality museum tours and you know it's kind of the next best thing available but better than nothing for sure
let's talk about pets and um, animal companions. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys have any pets? Not currently. What about you, Andrew? Um, yeah, we don't uh, we don't like have any that are ours. Um, where I'm living, there are two other animals here that is um, other people's, but it's uh, there's a cat and a dog. And to to be fair, I I don't really like identify with other people's pets. I know maybe maybe some people are like get super excited when they see a friend's dog or something like that. But it's just like a okay, cool, it's fine. Like I'll pet them. Hopefully they're nice and what whatnot but uh it's definitely not the same kind of i would say closeness as like the pets that i had in my life when i was a kid or like a teenager those ones that felt like mine i had like a much like stronger attachment to you had pets growing up yes yeah yeah i had a cat and then we rescued two dogs so we had a cat and two dogs at one point um so yeah that was kind of fun I, i i so i liked them kind of both equally and i know people are probably like upset maybe to hear that because most people are one or the other but i kind of like cats and dogs pretty equally depending on their temperament and like how they how they are you know yeah i'm more of a dog person i uh stumbled into owning a cat um because i didn't want it to go to the shelter so i took it in and she's made herself quite at home here and i just put up with it (laughs) i guess that's how most cat owners feel so i guess i'm I'm in the middle there. But really, um, Jesse, who rescued who? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Sometimes. Oh, so, so let me tell you a funny story. I bought her for her birthday this year because I know when her birthday is. I bought her a toy. Um, and it has like a jingly bell on it and like there's catnip inside. And it's just a fish attached to like a bungee cord sort of string thing with a suction cup on the end. So I stuck it to the side of the fish tank. And it's dangling like a couple centimeters above the floor. And every night she would play with it for like an hour straight. Like jingle, 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 jingle. So one of the nights recently I just woke up and I went down. I got the scissors and I cut the fucking bell off the thing. So it's like, I can't handle this anymore. I need to sleep. <laughs> she still plays with it the same amount. It's oh. just like silent now. And I'm like, this is amazing. Oh, I should have done this so much, much yeah. so so long ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. I'm with you on that. Um yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely like having pets, but it's also like, I really like traveling. I really like going away and doing things outside. And it's like, and you have to worry about them. Who's going to take care of them? I mean, some people take their pets everywhere, but that's like not really my thing. <laughs> well, let's talk about that a little bit more because one thing you do take everywhere is your kid. And so like, yeah, true. I take my Wait, pet you're supposed everywhere. to do my that? My cat stays home. So <laughs> I don't know, Alex, I'm not a parent. You tell me. I just got to put them on some newspaper and they're good to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they eat it. Alex is joking. <laughs> Very, much so. Very much so. I, I enjoy parenting my child to the fullest extent. Yeah. Um, it's definitely like at least at this stage in his life you you can't leave him anywhere and um don't really leave him with too many people besides maybe like grandparents once in a while so yeah it's uh it's definitely a a new dynamic of like living your life you kind of have to plan things differently a different pace and like a lot of things really change and I, i think it's just 
to a smaller or similar degree, depending on how intensive a pet owner you are, you probably feel the same way, um, especially if you have like a new pet and you haven't had one or it's a puppy or it's a kitten and it needs a lot of attention type of thing. I mean, there are some people that like dress up their their dogs or their cats in like little outfits and push them around in strollers and stuff. Um my dog is too big for a stroller, but I will admit that I have put her in a few costumes for special occasions. Um, she doesn't like it, but I think it's cute. <laughs> <laughs> so she's probably more cooperative than a toddler would be, I think. Yeah. Well, the thing is that like having a toddler and a dog is a solid one-two punch if you can afford it. Because the amount of food that ends up on the floor is mind-boggling. And, like, yeah, it's if wild. I just had a dog to clean up all that shit, my God, I feel like that would save me probably an hour a day. Because it just yeah. gets fucking everywhere. And, like, you'd yeah. think, oh, you know, I'm just going to strip this kid down to feed. No, because then their skin's covered with sticky everything. So it's better to, like, just have more clothing as a shield. The bib's a joke. You throw the bib on, just hoping praying to god it'll do something but then they just make eye contact with you grab their cup of water they just asked for and then dump it and throw it over their fo- shoulder and you're just like you know what i deserve that probably i don't know i'm so tired i yeah <laughs> kids are great <laughs> he's not wrong um in a lot of ways he's not wrong but you you definitely yeah the the, that is the one thing that the the dog right now is very good at it's cleaning up the mess on the floor um but we try to like make it a very different like barrier of when they can come in and clean things because otherwise they'll just hang out behind the kids tape like high chair the entire time um but are you like do you feel that kind of connection do you think to your pets jesse or do you have a really strong attachment to them or like what's it like for you um, I mean, so like one thing that, that I can, you know, I have the freedom to do is like leave my animals at home for eight hours and go to work. Can't do that with an infant. Um, and like, you know, there's stresses of time throughout the day, uh, like an hour or two where like, I forget that I have a dog at home and then I go, Oh, it's really nice out. Oh, look at that grass. I bet Daisy would love running there. And so like... <laughs> I picture uh, like her frolicking in a field and stuff when I drive by it, but um, I guess yeah, I have that that freedom. Um, in terms of like impacting stuff we want to do, yeah, it might if like if we want to travel for an extended period of time and like it involves like an airplane or something, um, we have to talk about like where she's gonna stay if she's gonna stay with like our in laws uh, or sorry our parents or um you know if we can drive instead she can come with us so i guess like treating your baby as like a (laughs) carry-on you can bring them sort of anywhere but like you know with a pet but should you is the real (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's very true i don't know um i think in terms of like how they behave probably children are more like cats than dogs because, I mean, if you're in the bathroom and, like, the door's open, like, a little, or if it's not open, 
I've heard that they like knock on the door and they're like, what are you doing? Or like try to break in. Cats do that too, where they like stick their little paws under the door and they try to like. Yeah, they'll just like. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Um, yeah, I think like a lot of kids are different, right? But um, oftentimes, at least with, with my little guy, it's just, you can't leave him alone. <laughs> it's just like even if you wanted to he he would find you very fast um and th- like i know there's like gates and things and whatnot but um yeah i just like it just feels kind of weird like leaving him alone even if i'm just like in the like a room adjacent to it i feel like i'm always kind of like ah, is he gonna like hurt himself you know like with a pet i'm like i'm not really worried about that it's more like oh are they gonna ruin my stuff where it's like a kid you're kind of like Uh, they could just like seriously hurt themselves even though they can't reach anything heavy they can't really like you know get anything that's (laughs) that's so funny because like when i hang out with kids which is not often um and like i have anything important around my immediate thought is oh my god what what are they gonna ruin (laughs) so so, i don't know maybe i flipped the like kid pet card in my head where like the pets the pets are the good ones and the kids are the ones that cause the trouble (laughs) but i think it's actually really interesting to see um the trend in how fewer and fewer people decide to have children and more people are opting for dogs instead so you know a lot of people like i actually interviewed a midwife who told me that like dogs are basically like baby replacements now um, yeah, but like, I, I think it actually really poses an interesting shift in how we see the, the figure of the child itself. Cause I think okay. a lot of the times, like when I, when I talk to my fellow millennial friends, it's just like, who can afford to have children? It's like, it's very much like money time. And it's just like a resource thing that, we, we're just not going to be in a place to be able to p- reproduce the way that our parents or our grandparents were able to. Yeah. Whereas dogs are much less expensive. Um, you know, I, I would dare say that they're less responsibility than human children. Um, mm-hmm. But we still love them as if they were our children. We still care about them. We still have this like parental love and responsibility towards them. But they just don't carry that weight of what it means to be a human child, which I think is very much focused on being the future, like this Mm -hmm. better future that's out there that our children are going to achieve. And because of that, like the whole temporality of what it means to be a child kind of shifts when you start thinking about dogs as children. And it's not really about the future anymore. In fact, it's, it's very much about the present because one of my friends explicitly said they just don't live long enough so i want to spoil them while while they're alive whereas you know for for children we're kind of training them towards this independence so that they can go on and build a better world or whatever children are supposed to do the dogs just are free of that responsibility so Mm -hmm. yeah I've, i've i'm actually writing that chapter now dogs as children and it's it's been it's been fun it's been difficult but it's been fun because i also don't have human children nor do I plan to, but I mm-hmm. want dogs for the rest of my life. All right, friends. Well, thanks for, for popping in again. I uh, really appreciate Absolutely. it. Next no month worries. I'm doing um, Zelda Breath of the Wild. Let's and go. Yes. So I know, Andrew, you've played that. 
Um, mm-hmm. Alex, I'm sure you've played previous Zelda games. Yeah, I've played a couple previous ones. Well, thanks for having us, Jesse. Yeah, it was fun, though. This, this is a good one. Very very different than our other ones. Yeah, I liked that we we chatted about... I mean, we have 12 games to choose from, and we went off topic pretty quickly, so... <laughs> Par for the course. <laughs> are your commissions for, for wonky dog drawings open? Oh, man, yes, they are. So, um, if you're more academically inclined, or if you like shitposting, my Twitter handle is at Maythan. It's M-A-Y-T-H-E-H-A-N. And if you want to commission me for wonky dog drawings, my dog illustration portfolio is on Instagram and it's at ode to dogs, O-D-E-T-O, dogs, D-O-G-S. Thank you. You can find me on Twitter at Dahanjay. If you're interested in reading or learning more about Maith's research, you can visit her website at maithan.com. To my listeners, thanks again for listening today. If you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe on whichever platform you're listening and download new episodes as they come out. I'm also part of a Patreon group called Scientific Canada, and by supporting us on Patreon, you can help me buy more open-world and RPG games and keep making episodes about in-game ecology. Thanks for tuning in. Hope to catch you next time. Podcast art is by Lara LeBlanc, and theme music is called Ring Song by Brett Eagleston. You can hear more of his music at bretteagleston.bandcamp.com.